You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for October 29th, 2023, the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend John Kennedy. It's based on Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. We just heard Jesus say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He offers another formulation of the same principle earlier in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, In everything do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, this teaching has a name. What, what's, what's this rule called? It is the golden rule. That's right. The principle of treating others as you want to be treated by them. Now, I didn't know this until I was preparing for the sermon, but the, the term golden rule is actually first used by Anglicans back in the 17th century, but of course the teaching, the idea, is far older. It goes back to antiquity. Various expressions of the golden rule can be found in most religious and ethical traditions throughout the world, throughout time. We find it in ancient Egypt and ancient India, in ancient Greece and Rome, in the writings of Plato and Stoic philosophers. There's a multi-faith poster displayed uh, permanently at the United Nations headquarters in New York City that has the golden rule in uh, scriptures from 13 different religious traditions. This includes Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, native traditions, and, and others. The golden rule has been adopted in various secular contexts and is widely celebrated and cherished as a foundational central and universal maxim, offering all of humanity, no matter our differences, a simple and yet powerful guide to how to relate to one another. It is taught to our children. I was talking to the St. Mark's preschoolers about the Golden Rule this week. It turns out a lot of them had already been taught it uh, here at the St. Mark's preschool. Yet, somehow, the first place I remember hearing the the term golden rule and, and perhaps even the teaching itself um, was not in preschool or, or elementary school or church. It was the show Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> now, I gather that many of you know about this show, which chronicles the misadventures of Larry David and the many awkward social predicaments he gets himself into over and over and over again. If you don't know who Larry David is, you know, count yourself among the lucky here. Um, but I got really into this show when I was about 14 years old, and that hasn't changed at all. Uh, and in an episode I first saw when I was uh, this age, um, Larry and his wife Cheryl go into a theater for a show, and there is a woman at the door who appears to be working there as an usher. And she says, I'm sorry, there, there's no food or drink in the theater. Uh, you, you can't take that in. Because Larry's holding a water bottle. So he looks at it. And earlier in the episode, we, we, we learned that his doctor has told him that he's dehydrated and should drink like eight glasses of water a day. So he's carrying a water bottle with him at all times. So he says, really? You know, I, I really need this. Are you sure I can't take it in? She's like, uh, you're going to have to finish it out here. I'm sorry. So Larry surrenders begrudgingly, and, and he and Cheryl agree for her to go in, save a seat for him, and he'll finish the water outside the theater. Once Larry is seated, he notices someone in the row in front of him. Is that the same woman who just told me to get rid of the water? What's the deal? 
What's going on? Does she work here? Is she a guest? So he leans over to talk to her. Excuse me, excuse me, do you work here? She's like, no. Well then, why did you tell me I couldn't come in with the water? She's like, I saw you coming in with water. There's no water. That's the rules. I don't see how it's your concern. You don't work here. It's the rules. The sign says no food or drink in the theater. What are you, the hall monitor? Who are you that the rules don't apply? I'm applying the golden rule. I don't think the golden rule applies here. Yeah, well, if you had water, would you want me to tell you you couldn't bring water in? I don't think so. It's like, how about common courtesy? And Larry says, that doesn't supersede the golden rule. That's the big one. The golden rule is the big one. We love the golden rule. Today's gospel features one of Jesus' most beloved and quoted sayings. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. This is the golden rule. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This makes for great bumper stickers, coffee mugs, t-shirts, like someone on our staff is known to wear. My previous diocese actually made it into a trademark um, motto. Love God, love your neighbor, change the world. Circle R, registered. I don't know, you could trademark something like that, but, but they did it. A little anticlimactic then that today's gospel follows this, this high point with a very obscure passage that uh, is titled in the New Revised Standard translation of the Bible that we use here and throughout the Episcopal Church. Uh, it's titled, The Question About David's Son. I bet none of you had a question about David's son that you're itching to have answered. But Jesus brings this up. He asks the Pharisees, who he's, you know, kind of going back and forth with, what do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? And the Pharisees say, uh, David's son. The, the Messiah was long expected to be descended from the line of David and not only be a relative or a descendant of David, but to be like David in terms of being a great king and even warrior who would reestablish Israel's greatness in the world. And Jesus is like, okay, well, if the Messiah is the son of David, then how come in a psalm that David wrote, he calls the Messiah Lord? How can an inferior be referred to as a superior? You know, in this culture, if you're, if you're, you're inferior to your father, so how could your father call you Lord? If this sounds like obscure rabbinic debate that's not at all interesting to you, that's fine. That's probably how it should sound. Um, try making a slogan, bumper sticker, mug, or t-shirt out of that. Not very compelling. Not like love your neighbor and love God. In more general terms, many of us seem to have more difficulty when Jesus speaks about himself as the Messiah or as the Son of God, or when he makes claims that seem in any way narrow or exclusive or particular to Christian faith. Uh, we, we so often prefer Jesus when he's speaking about universal values that we imagine everybody can get on board with, that, that we imagine have universal appeal, such as love God and love your neighbor. These, these messages are much easier to embrace and digest. And yet, even though we love saying and hearing the golden rule, it seems that as, you know, human beings, as Americans, we're not always so good at practicing it. In practice, many people throughout the world, not just Americans, uh, have a much easier time with the particular tribal 
and exclusive elements in their tradition or in their culture rather than the universal values such as love or neighbor. Because we fail to love our neighbors left and right, up and down. You know, Democrats hate Republicans, Republicans hate Democrats. Uh, Political division in this country is at an all-time high. It's been at an all-time high for at least 25 years now, but it just keeps topping itself. And of course, and tragically, there is, is a terrible war unfolding in the Middle East right now between Israelis and Palestinians. We have Muslims fighting Jews and Jews fighting Muslims. The suffering and trauma experienced by both Israelis and Palestinians is immense and tragic. Of course, the current fighting began on October 7th when Israeli civilians were targeted in their homes and communities in an unspeakably barbaric act of terrorism, the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust, for which there can be absolutely no justification, regardless of political complications and circumstances. And now Palestinian civilians, so many of them children, are are suffering and dying every day as collateral damage. The suffering on both sides is, is just grievous and traumatic. Both of these traditions have a deep history with and, and compelling claims to the land that they live in and are fighting over. Both of these traditions have the teaching to love one's neighbor as oneself, but it's so hard to do it, it seems. And I believe that most Israelis and Palestinians want to find a peaceful solution, but obviously so many, uh, too many don't. Uh, and, and over here in America, while we're not fighting each other with weapons over this and other disagreements, we get so dug into our own positions, and so many Americans have been so eager to latch onto one or another side of this conflict and make it their card, uh, make it their cause, and demonize the other side, yell at them, denounce them. The New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman, who knows something about this conflict, said recently, I love Israelis and I love Palestinians, but God save me from their American supporters. We have such a hard time loving our neighbor as ourself in this world. Why is it? Why is it so hard when, when we love this teaching and when it's there in all of our traditions? It seems we get stuck on how we're different, on what divides us, and we lose sight of how we're all united as neighbors. In Luke's gospel, when the same teaching, the same passage appears, where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God, Jesus follows it with the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus' message is that the Samaritan, who was the enemy, one of the enemies, of Jews of Jesus' time. These two groups lived in geographical proximity to one another, but they were very much at odds and not at all friendly to one another. Jesus' message is that the Samaritan is your neighbor. And if you're a first-century Jew, if the Samaritan is my neighbor, well, then who isn't my neighbor? I think Jesus' message is that everyone is our neighbor, which is an astonishing teaching of universal kinship for that time and place. The brilliant spiritual teacher Ram Dass had a great way of getting at the heart of this truth and what it means for how we should live, how we should want to live. He said, 
in the 70s, he, he put a package together of some recordings he had made of his teachings. And it was nicely packaged and everything, and he was going to sell it for $4.50. Again, this is the 70s. And he brought it to his father, who was a very successful lawyer and businessman. And his father said, this is pretty impressive. What are you going to charge for it? $4.50. I bet you could charge $10 for it, and just as many people would buy it. This looks pretty good. And Ram Dass says, well, it only cost $4 to make, so you get 50 cents profit for each one sold. And his father's like, I don't understand. You can make a lot more money off of this. What, are you against capitalism or something? And he says, no, I just, I just think that, that this is what I want to sell it for. So he's thinking about how he can get through to his dad where he's coming from. So he says, Dad, you're a lawyer. Well, remember a few years ago when you tried a case for our Uncle Henry? It's like, yeah. Was it a tough case? Like, darn right it was tough. It took a lot of my time. And how did the case go? Well, I won. I, we worked hard and, and we won the case. We had to take it to the Supreme Court of Massachusetts. He's like, well, Dad, I, I bet you charged Uncle Henry a sizable fee for all that work you did for him. His dad's like, what, are you out of your mind? It's Uncle Henry. Of course I didn't. So Ramda says, well, now you, now you see my predicament. You understand. If you can find me somebody who isn't Uncle Henry, I'll rip them off. Everybody's Uncle Henry. Everybody's our neighbor. This is Jesus' message. Back to the teaching about the Messiah, this question about the son of David. It might sound obscure, but I think it actually has something quite profound for us, especially today, especially next to this passage with the golden rule. As I've said, the Messiah was expected to be not only descended from David, but like David in terms of militants, in terms of being a political leader, in terms of being a political liberator. And this was not the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. Jesus did claim Messiahship for himself. He just, before the story, had rode into Jerusalem on a donkey with shouts of Hosanna to the son of David, messianic exclamations from the people who were there. But Jesus claimed to be a very different kind of Messiah, one that nobody, it seems, expected. Perhaps one that nobody really wanted or knew they wanted until he showed up. He is the kind of Messiah who is, of course, enthroned as king. A Messiah was supposed to be a king on a cross with the words, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, inscribed above his head. So he's a Messiah that calls for our faith, who calls for our allegiance in a way, but in a very different way than any other religious leader might do so, because he calls us not to follow him and to be attached to him and to be allied to him and to all others who believe in him at the exclusion of being allied to and in communion with everybody else in the world. He calls us to follow him into the way that he leads, to follow him into love of neighbor, a neighborship that knows no bounds, if you allow the word neighborship, a neighborhood that knows no bounds. Because after all, where would Jesus be in the conflicts of today? Jesus lived in a time of conflict. He lived in a time where people on both sides of a very deep political and cultural divide were taking up arms, trying to overthrow the other or trying to keep the other down. 
It's not at all so different from what we see going on today in the Middle East and in other places. Jesus did not take up arms. He taught another way. He taught his followers, anybody who would listen to him, to love your neighbor. And not only to love your neighbor, but to love your enemies. To pray for your enemies. To forgive those who do you wrong. To forgive. To withhold judgment. Jesus not only taught a nonviolence of actions, but he taught a nonviolence of the heart. I think this is fundamental to what it means to follow Jesus and fundamental to what Jesus has to offer us in this very inflamed and polarized time. This doesn't necessarily offer us easy political or military solutions to the conflict playing out in the Middle East. I'm not suggesting it does. But I think what it does suggest is that we who are here trying to follow Jesus in this place, in this culture, can learn a lot from this sort of Messiah who's different than what was expected, who's not the warrior king, who taught in on violence of the heart, who teaches us, if we will follow him, how to put out some of the flames of division and unrest in our society with the healing waters, like the rain of today, the healing waters of forgiveness, kindness, patience, withholding judgment far more often than we tend to. Being less quick to take a side in a conflict that is so complicated that um, it's hard to really know what side we should be on. Jesus did not tell us that we need to take sides in every political dispute of our time. He told us to witness to another way. So let us follow our Messiah, let us follow our rabbi in this way and offer some healing and hope in a time and a place that really needs it. Amen. can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.